little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by my co host Sean Mullen in Swift Current Saskatchewan and also Colton Davies in Kamloops. Uh, and how's, how's things going for you so far there, Colton? No, things are things are good, guys. Uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, just kind of getting geared up for for the Memorial Cup and covering that for daily faceoff. Yeah, it's got to be an exciting time to be covering the Blazers these days. Absolutely, and there's been a lot of buzz around you know what they've done, what they haven't done, uh, what that looks like now, what that looks like in the future. How much fun was it covering the lead up to and all the action surrounding the trade deadline? Oh, it, it was everything I could have imagined because growing up, you know, being a big Blazers fan and doing all that, you know, being behind the scenes is something I've always wanted to do. And so having that opportunity to kind of network and be involved in everything that was going on over the weekend was just was really cool. Um, you know, as far as what they did, I'm very excited to see what's going to uh, happen here over the next couple months. You know, Zellweger has already just been been unreal, and Hofer has just been a, a horse for for Camels already. Uh, yeah, it's just been it's so fun to cover it, and you know, it, there was a lot of chatter obviously throughout throughout the weekend, and you guys know this too, being involved. That you know, there's a lot of people that talk, and a lot of people that want to, you know, maybe talk to you to try and pry information out or give you false information. Um, so there was definitely a lot of, you know, chatter. Um, but, you know, overall, you know, the Zellweger thing, I kind of knew about it on Friday, and it just exploded gone on Sunday. And, I mean, yeah, you guys obviously saw the trade too. I mean, what do you, what did you guys think? I mean, I we, we've seen a lot of, you know, crazy trades and talked about it on the show over the years, you know, I mean, with all the – you know, Sean was right there for all those, you know, moves in Swift Current and, you know, the, the man he was making. And, you know, we talk about the 2013 Saskatoon Blades, 20, 2010 Saskatoon Blades. I mean, but I don't know if I'd ever – I mean, it's 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 kind of OHL territory, you know, only with, with first-rounders included is kind of I, – I don't think I've ever seen that many, that many assets, you know, moved. But then obviously, you know, Hofer being part of that, you know, kind of kind of clouds it a little bit. But, I mean, how much could he have possibly been worth on – on top of that, it's almost like the four first for the one guy and the second, third, fourth, fifth for the other guy or something like that. But that's how I kind of laid it out in my head when I was looking at it. When I was told originally that that was the deal and that they were tossing it up between Hofer and another player, I, I was wondering that too. I was like, okay, so it's four firsts for Zellweger and the rest for, for, for the other guy? I was like, that's a lot to give up. 
Like I, I honestly I couldn't imagine what Paddock would have gotten for for Bedard. Like you probably could have got six first round picks for Bedard. Well, and you have to, you know, you have to put context on what pick it was, and and also remember, um, while the twenty year old player may not off the top of your head feel as valuable, I've seen significant overage talents um, fetch significant prices when it comes to the right time of year. I mean, the reality is, and you you referenced. Chad, the, the Memorial Cup year that the Broncos won the championship in 2018 and Regina was hosting. Anytime a team in the Western Hockey League is hosting, especially when there's a select few other teams that are legitimate Memorial Cup contenders, the prices just shoot up. And that's the, the natural uh, evolution of the thing because the host team has to make moves. Everybody knows that. Their leverage is very minimal as a result and the other teams around them that want to take advantage of that point in their cycle are forced to pay similar prices to the team that is forced to make moves so it's kind of a perfect storm when it comes to the prices being high and it's kind of hard to avoid isn't it I mean what are you going to do if you're Kamloops you're already there you have no choice you got to do something and if that's what the cost is you know how many other options were there out there? We were on this show for weeks discussing how you know most of the the teams that were out of the race had been picked over. So you had to do what was necessary to entice a team like Everett, who's still right there in the mix of contention, mm-hmm. to trade away their best defenseman, maybe their best player, probably their best player, mm-hmm. and then one of their top power forwards. You know, uh, to make them do that in a year where they're still in the mix, you're going to have to give more than you would have to pay Spokane or Edmonton. Yeah, that's a great point, though, too. I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the, you know, personally, um, in conversations I've had with some some close friends of mine, like, I think Kamloops waited too long. It, it, it's just, it, the deal should have been done the second Seattle started to bolster up, and that's just my personal opinion on that. But is is that deal available then? Exactly, that, though. That's I true. Suspect, I suspect it's not. And it, yeah. it really depends, you know, I don't know what Sean Cluston was angling for, what he what he wanted to do to his roster. If he feels like the the biggest thing missing is that elite all around world class defenseman, what other one moved? Right? Like yeah. so <laughs> it's tough to say, you know, other teams paid other prices for other things. And I think when it when it's coming to you know I don't want to be the the defend Kamloops side of it because I don't you know I don't I'm not privy to everything but the, the other thing that I think sometimes gets forgotten is that they did make a move pretty early they just haven't seen any result from it yet That's because true. that that player is on the shelf right yeah. yeah so a lot of people are kind of you know it feels like this is their move but that was a significant addition as well just one that hasn't. Uh, hasn't paid off yet because it, no one's been able to see the results of it. Yeah, and and Demick, like he, um, you know, the news that I got from Vegas was that he was down in Henderson uh, last week um, training. They're rehabilitating them there with the doctors down in Henderson and with Vegas, and then he was coming back to Kamloops, and he should be um, in the lineup by January 27th. So, I mean, yeah, Kamloops will get to see him at least then, and that's another guy who who has that Memorial Cup playoff experience, and 
you know, he's another huge power forward out there and can definitely be a, a killer on that power play unit with them. Well, and, and, and I'm with you, Colton, on that, that to me the, the whole thing started, you know, once once Seattle went out and, and got Luke Prokop. You know, that's mm-hmm. from, that was kind of a line of demarcation in my opinion. But at the same time, I mean, the, the big move was, you know, obviously the, the Zellweger move and you know, um, Everett was good. I mean, they they weren't they weren't going to do anything. I mean, they they only went another slide once. Well, once they lost Zellweger to to World Juniors and and lost uh, you know Dennis Williams. Before that, I mean, there was no way that either one of those players was going to be available because you know I mean Everett Everett had a better record than Cam Lewis at that time I, I I believe. And so you know without going back and looking, and so it was kind of a thing. You know, I think. The the tailspin that the Silvertips went in really kind of kind of set up that move. I, in in a, in a parallel universe, I kind of kind of wonder what would have happened if Everett would have tre- treaded water, treaded water, and not traded the defenseman. If if, if that would have been the case, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's ooh, that's a good one to think about, though. Like a big what if for sure, because there's a lot of things that could have been done there. And I know Camel's had a couple guys on their radar that got picked up early like uh, Graham Sward was a guy that <clears throat> excuse me was a guy that they were looking at but then you know he goes to Winnipeg for a handful of draft picks so yeah it wasn't going to be cheap no matter what they did no I mean, and that's that's the thing right like those trades were just going to be astronomical no matter what and you were going to pay a price and, and it's like you said too you're a Memorial Cup host so teams are going to cry you a little bit more because they know you have to give up to, to fetch these superstar players to bring the talent. And, and it's, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. For example, um, when the Regina Pats were in contention for the Memorial Cup before 2018, their 2017 season, when they had, I would say, the best roster in the league, but ran into injuries, got out muscled by Seattle in the final and lost the final, that trade deadline, John Paddock made moves not necessarily focused on the success of the 2017 team, but how could he get the jump, maybe, on the 2018 Memorial Cup? Makes those moves. A couple of those guys don't quite pay out the way that they hoped they would. You know, projecting Mm -hmm. 18-year-olds into their 19-year-old seasons. And then they're still forced to make as many moves the next year as they would have had to anyway, already using some of their assets and didn't make their moves in 2017. So while part of you would say, Okay, if you're going to be the host, try to make some of those moves ahead of time before everybody knows you have to. But then you do. It is there's no guarantee those players become what you want them to, or are available to you, or any number of things. So it, you're really backed into a corner when you're given that you know wonderful opportunity. You're backed into a corner, and we've now seen you know Saskatoon, Regina, um, Red Deer was a host that I don't think was damaged as much by doing it but, you know, didn't make as many moves. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, the, the hosts we've seen in recent history have all had to kind of go all in and then all had to pay the price for it afterwards. So how this will be judged, I imagine, I don't know how you feel, will be A, uh, how well do they do? So, you know, did the moves work? And then B, how well will Sean Clouston be able to recover the assets that he has spent? Because that may surprise people. Because Dean Brockman, when he was general manager here in Swift Current, was able to kind of recoup 
asset for asset, all the things that the Broncos traded away, maybe not quite as high level, you know, some of the picks were lower, mm-hmm. without even getting many of their players back. So if Kamloops gets a number of players back next year, makes some shrewd moves, they may be able to, you know, get a lot of those assets back, and then it doesn't seem as bad. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of Blazer fans need to hear because a lot of people, when the trade happened, um, the, the, I think the reaction from the city kind of shocked the Blazers organization a little bit because people were taken back. And there was a lot of people going, well, why would we trade, you know, all of this? And, you know, when you look at it and you you explained it perfectly, next year, if they want to, I mean, Stan Coben's not going to be back, so they know that. But if they want to, they could trade Caden Bankier. They could trade Fraser Minton. They could trade Semenov, Levis. It, the list goes on. They could trade all these guys and get picks back and recuperate all the assets. It's how willing are you to do that yeah. and take the hits for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, and then that may mean that it's a three, four-year process rather than a seven, eight-year process, right? That's yeah. That's what you have to do to to fast track it a little bit. So I mean, it, you're always going to take some hit. So we'll see what happens. Um, that said, on the other side, with the moves they did make, you know, we've seen some significant additions. We had Craig Button though from TSN on our podcast last week, and when point blank asked if he felt the Blazers did enough to you know match them with the best teams in the country, he said no. And how do you feel about that? I heard that, and uh, I I agree. I actually I echo that with what Craig says. And I, I've never had the opportunity to speak to him, but I think him and I would ag- would would agree on a few things with what the Blazers did for sure. Um, you know, you look at what Windsor did. Um, you you look at some of the other like OHL teams too. Like I can draw in blanks right now, but you know, I know Pavel Mentukov got moved and he was a huge piece in Saginaw. And you just look at all these big players that got moved. And I think that Camels just could have maybe jumped in a little bit harder and tried. Um, but Hey, I mean, we'll see what, what happens here because Zellweger has been great so far. I mean, four points in three games of three goals. I mean, it's pretty nice. And yeah, Hoper has been cool too. Um, I'm just, I'm just worried when it comes to matchups against yeah against the actual Memorial Cup teams and when we get to that tournament. So where do you see the shortcomings? Because again, you know, Campbell's has a good record, and we haven't seen um, the products of all the trades really yet. You know, no. the the Everett trade only recently, the Edmonton trade we haven't seen any results from it yet, and they're still in the mix with the better teams. So where do you think once that roster is full and healthy, where do you see them as a a little bit behind the likes of a Windsor or a Seattle or teams of that nature? I think once they get healthy and you get Demick situated into the lineup and you can run, you know, a full team, um, they they can compete. I think that they're going to be right there with Seattle. Uh, You know, they'll be a team that can really fight. Now, with that said, I'm blown away by the Seattle Thunderbirds roster and what they've been able to just do on their end. So that team, honestly, I'm sure it scares a lot of people in the WHL, but that's, I feel like, is going to be their big problem. Um, you know, they when they played Winnipeg here, they did, they did fine. 
So I think Seattle is going to be the big issue for them. But when that comes, you know, a lot of people have been kind of looking at Dylan Ernst as not a starting goaltender. And he, he's above and beyond that. I mean, this is a guy who has just been, he's just taken it and ran with it here because, you know, Dylan Grand didn't return, and which was a big loss to the team. I know they were hoping for that um, by some sort of miracle. But, you know, you got a guy in Ernst who's got a 240 GAA and a .917 save percentage in 33 games this year, you know, 23-6 and six record. That's where it's going to come down to. And, you know, my one, just to go back to the trades for a sec, my one problem was is I thought that they would, the Blazers would have traded for a 19-year-old goaltender, somebody with some experience in playoffs so that they could have had the tandem of Ernst and that second goaltender. I mean, they went out and got Matthew Keeper, which is fine. But he's just, in my opinion, he's young. And I think that's where the Blazers are going to take the hit is when it comes down to goaltending and just overall their, their, their defense. Because outside of Zellweger and Masters and Bayros, it's pretty slim. Colton, I'm, I'm with you on, you know, is, is the goaltending good enough? But, you know, the, the counterpoint there is, you know, it, it's not a year that there's an obvious you know, goalie out there available, you know, a, a Joel Hofer, if you will, even though that was a little unusual because he was in 18 when he got traded. But, you know, as far as, a you know, a, 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 a known commodity, you know, you mentioned, you know, the playoff experience. It's, you know, they're certainly not moving Tom, Thomas Millich over there. So then, no, you know, for sure. so it's it was kind of a, it's kind of a weird year in that regard for, uh, you know, there's not like, like a marquee name that's, that's available. To, it didn't seem like. No, and, and I agree with that. I just I kind of nitpick things when it comes to that. But, you know, a, a guy that I personally had on my radar was, was Jesper Beichman. And I thought, hey, they can make this work. You could move out Oppo-Sorel and move him to Vancouver, move him somewhere where there's an import spot open, get a draft pick, flip the draft pick, flip keeper, so on and so on, and you could get this other goaltender. And, you know, whatever, it didn't happen so oh well. But that's just kind of where the you know the discrepancy is with the team, and I think that's where the struggle is going to be. It's just kind of in in net and in defense, and when they play you know against a team like like a Windsor, because I mean it'll be pretty hard if it's pretty hard not to see Windsor winning the OHL. Um, I mean Peterborough's got a heck of a team too, but they on Ottawa. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So. You know, you think about those teams and what they've done to bolster up too. It, yeah, I, it, it's early for me, but you know, I can see, I, I can see the Blazers matching up, but oh, I, I, I'm not too sure how favoritive I am with them right now. Well, goaltending is always a real challenge. I mean, that, there's no question, and and then. At, at this point of the, the season, I know this has happened with contenders lots. People will say, what happens if your starting goalie goes down? Yeah. But that's a question you can ask of most teams, and most would be facing some real uncertainty. Because even if you have a backup that has good numbers, that backup has likely not played um, mm-hmm. the level of opponents and the level of minutes that the other guy has anyway. So any team that loses their starting net monitor is going to be dealing with uh, with some serious question marks. And yep. so far, you know, outside of a, a little bit of recent struggle, 
I would say so far, um, the starter in Kamloops has has played well. I mean, the numbers are good for for Ernst. So, you know, you always want somebody that's got a ton of experience, but ultimately you want the, the guy who's playing well that year, regardless of whether he has before or not. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I agree. You know, one thing, Sean, you kind of made me think of earlier, I mean, we've, you know, again, we it's the, every show turns in the Connor Bedard show at some point, but, you know, mm-hmm. you look at that 2018 uh, Regina team and, and, and all the assets they, they spent, you know, you could argue then that they are still, well, I guess you'd have to argue this, that they're, that, that 2018 run is and and the, and the assets spent is kind of why they're a middling team right now and so it's they have the best junior player on the planet and they aren't able to utilize it because they're still feeling that hangover from from that team that's that's how bad it, it hurt them to to host that you know even even you know Bedard's going to drag him kicking and screaming into a you know a, a a playoff series where they you know don't have home ice but you know what? What could have been? You know, with just another couple of picks in there in the last couple of years to 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 you know surround him. It just you know again it just kind of further illustrates you know the 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 the, the cost of uh, of this poker game. Well, and what people forget a little bit on that one is typically not not to jump in too much, but what we forget, I think sometimes typically when you get a franchise player uh, in junior hockey you're building to their 19-year-old season. Because unless they're a, you know, superstar-type player, they're likely going to be around junior through their 19-year-old year. You know, unless they're walking into the NHL at 18 or 19, which is just not that common, right? So, and, and usually at least get one seat, like you at least get their 18-year-old season. You don't get a ton of them that are that are going right to the NHL from 17. So, when you get a superstar like this, it speeds your window up. Um, and the team drafting first overall, like Regina was when they got Bedard, are typically not two years away from contention, right? So that, that's the that's the challenge of it. You're you're not usually there yet um, when that player's coming. You're usually a year or two away. You know, you're usually kind of peaking when they're 19. And then Regina already coming off trading away so many assets adding him and then trying to build around him you know sacrifice some assets to try to do it but they just weren't in position to, to really you know to really go all in around him so they kind of ended up being half pregnant and it was it's a blessing to get him but also a very inopportune time um, mm-hmm. so it, it was a really unique situation the whole Bedard thing was just like you know him getting traded in, in that whole rumor was just crazy. Like for to go back to like the summer when that first kind of popped up, and I can't even remember how it even got started. But you know, you you think about what Regina could have done. You know, even like surrounding him with talent. I, I think it's crazy that you. I, I actually sorry. I thought it was crazy that they didn't really do much, but now that you've explained it like that, it makes a lot of sense. Like, they're just they weren't able to build around him. Well, they, they didn't even have the assets to do it yet. Yeah, right. They they'd gotten some back. You know that deal they made, for example, to get the picks to get him. Mm-hmm. 
um, the Jake position trade was a terrific deal for Regina to get to get that Bronco pick that became the Connor Bedard pick. But they still didn't have their their coverage restocked yet. You know, they were at the beginning of that. So then you have a guy that fast tracks your process the way he did. They tried. They made a couple of moves, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the assets to go as far as they would need to go. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're if you go as in deep as they would have needed to, then they're right back in the same situation they just were. So it was a it was a really tough spot. And you know, we've heard a fair bit of criticism of the Pats for this process. Also, with people not necessarily knowing what Bedard's stance was on being traded, which, whether it was an ownership choice or, uh, you know, whether the Bedards made it clear from the beginning they didn't want to be moved, I don't think it was ever John Paddock's choice. Uh, either way. So, you know, you do what you, you do the best you can with it. And I, I've seen Regina play pretty good hockey coming off World Juniors. With a guy coming, you know, bolstered by playing the best hockey he ever has on the biggest possible stage. Yep. Who knows, right? It's and true, though. They're not a deep team, but who knows? Superstars have done some crazy things uh, when they get hot before. So. Yeah, I, I I'm excited for the playoffs because I think Bedard's really gonna just crank it up a notch. Yeah, if it's anything like the way he played in the in the tournament, you know, that's you know, I guess I this show we we uh, we're, we're built around sidebars and, and and distractions. You know, I wonder I wonder if you could argue that say the uh, you know are the Saskatoon Blades better than you know the German national team? You know, maybe <laughs> maybe they are. Yeah, probably are. The more I think about it, I mean, probably are. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a fun a fun thought experiment. So you know, is he putting up you know ten points in a game against Saskatoon here in the spring? I mean, I don't, I, I I doubt it, but I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's an interesting thought experiment. I like that. That's neat. No, I that definitely would probably be better. That's for sure. Fun, but Regina, since you know, um, they they did have a, a tough couple losses to. Brandon and Seattle and PA there right off New Year's, but uh, they beat Calgary 6-2, Saskatoon 7-4, Portland 4-3 in their last three. Um, so those are pretty good teams yep. to beat three in a row. Yep. We'll see what, you know, they've got a home-and-home with Swift Current this weekend. That'll be really interesting. Um, I heard the building's going to be pretty full here in Swift actually on Friday, which will be exciting, but uh, we'll see. You know, I, I I don't necessarily see them as a favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know if there are too many teams clamoring to play them either, just knowing that he could go off for four or five points any given night. And yeah, that's just it too. Like if he if he brings that World Junior esque talent and just lights up, you know, whoever like say they play Saskatoon in the first round, um it you never know. Because, you know, Tanner Howe is a heck of a hockey player, too. And a lot of the people don't really seem to look at him. No, it's, it's just the overall depth, I think, is the ultimately what people look at. They say, you know, with teams like Winnipeg and Red Deer and Saskatoon and Seattle and Kamloops and Portland, you know, that are, that are extraordinarily deep teams, um, 
it'll be tough for Regina to have any kind of serious run. But sometimes a superstar can really make a substantial difference when it gets down to crunch time. So we'll see. It'll it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, the you talk about the depth. I mean, that's that's what I keep coming back to. You know, with with uh, the Thunderbirds. I mean, just because they kept adding, kept adding, kept adding. You know, I mean, you kind of wonder what that's done to the chemistry. You know, you you wonder there's only one puck to go around for for all these guys. I mean, are you playing Brad Lambert on the third line? I mean, you know, that's mm-hmm. that, that's a thing that's you know, I mean, it it's a good setup if they if they sustain any injuries, and you're always going to. I got that going for them, but I mean, what kind of what's your what's your take on on uh, on the way that the Thunderbirds are are situated there, Colton, and and how do you think? You know, can can you have you know too too much talent and too many you know big names on on a junior team like that? Um, personally, yeah, I think I think it gets to a point where there's there's too much star power, and you start to see the you know the I want to shoot the puck, I want to shoot the puck type scenario, and there's going to be clashes. But at the same time, those types of players also do know how to work together as a team and if they're good people then they will mesh fine but I think that you know in my personal thought and even looking back on you look back even this is to the NHL but you look at a team like Pittsburgh when they were going through their bit of trouble with Crosby and Malkin and how you know one would always want to be better than the other well they eventually figured it out and they realized, okay, we got to work together. I think, you know, with Seattle, there's a, there's a lot to be said because, you know, they just had Brad Lambert. You know, Colton Dawkins to come back from injury still. So they got to situate him into the lineup. And then how do the NHL teams and their um, their development coaches feel about these players too? You have a guy like Brad Lambert who's played, you know, AHL minutes. He, he, he's on a second power play unit. I don't think the Winnipeg Jets are too appreciative of that. So there's a lot to really, like, you could nitpick all of it and look into it. And overall, yeah, I think that sometimes you can have too much talent on one roster and it can affect it can affect the outcome. Having seen teams that, you know, at least in particular one team up close that uh, was a pretty darn deep team, I think it's, it's about how you balance your lines. It's mm-hmm. about the, the kind of assignments that you give players that, the way that you make them feel like their role is valuable, even if it's not quite what they were used to it being. And and the experience of going through a run like that, you're going to have to have guys step up at different times. Like that Broncos team in 2018, you know, Steenberg and Haponiemi and Godden are your, you know, your three best players. Um, but twice, they had other players score hat-tricks in games that included the overtime winner that lifted them to wins. Matteo Gennaro, Giorgio Estefan, each doing that. You know, so you needed other guys to step up because there's going to be days where your top line is shut down and then you're going, well, who else is going to step up? And that's when having a team like that is, is so special. I think the other way that this this season, though, reminds me of 2018, which I think offers a bit of a cautionary tale, is how incredibly tough it was to to win the Western Hockey League that year with the quality of teams that, in particular for Swift Current, they had to face 
in the Eastern Conference and East Division. You know, going against Regina and, and Moose Jaw, who are probably the second and third best teams in the league in the first two rounds. Um, and then by the time they got to the Memorial Cup, they were absolutely decimated by injury and worn out. So, you know, if Seattle's got to play an Everett and a Portland and then a Kamloops and then get to the league final and, and play Winnipeg, you know, how much are they going to have left in the tank by the time they go back to Kamloops again? You know, so th- that's something that's going to be on my mind watching the Western League playoffs this year, given the, the level of top teams we've got in the league this year, how tough is the journey going to be and what's going to be left in the tank? And if a team like Kamloops, who we know is going to be there anyway, mm-hmm. gets to the second or third round but then gets a break, you know, that's not what you want, but at the same time, could it be an advantage for them in your mind? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember where I heard it. It might have been on your guys' show with Greg. Ooh, I don't know. I'm trying to think, but I heard somebody say uh, last week that, you know, you come in to the Memorial Cup with fresh legs and you, 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 like a team like Camels gets eliminated in the second round and they come into that Memorial Cup with fresh legs and just pulls a St. John and wins the whole thing. I mean, it could happen. Regina, the year they hosted, made the final. Yeah, and that's right. Nobody had them making the final because they had such a poor first half. But their second half was so strong, and the Broncos barely got by them. So I didn't see it as, as much of a surprise as others did. But they hadn't played since the first round. And then all of a sudden, they were in the final of the whole thing. Right? So I'm sure there, there's not going to be one second. I know how incredibly competitive Sean Clouston is and I, mm-hmm. I, I can't understate that I know he's an incredibly competitive man so that there won't be a moment that he would he would consider a loss of benefit but in some ways knowing that you're in does give them kind of that security blanket you know yep I, I think so too I think it it is like it's something that they can look into like you know the, the back pocket and be like okay well we we still have this and we can still win it. Then, but you know, overall, like you said, though, Cluston's very competitive. Uh, Stan Coven's one of the most competitive players I've ever talked to and seen. And he's not going to let anybody take a loss or anything like that either. So yeah, I mean, obviously, winning is what they want to do. You want to win the league and then win the championship because you go back in time to what Kamloops has done in the Memorial Cup in history. A Kamloops team has always won the WHL final and then won the Memorial Cup. So they, they want to be a part of that. And Sean, you, you, you made uh, uh, some of the points that I, exact points I wanted to make about the 2018 Broncos and, you know, those uh, overtime goals. And, and you look at, you know, they, they add, I mean, Manny just went crazy. He's, everything that wasn't bolted down and some stuff that was, you know, adding to that team. And you could definitely argue that they used every player if they if they were one one move short if they don't bring in you know Beck Malenstein they don't win the cup if they don't you know if they every, every single player like if he would have made one less move they don't they don't get there you know what i mean and you look at the you know the the, the 2011 Winterhawks they were you know they were they were one defenseman short you know with with uh with their captain going down you know and 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 that you know, was, was the difference in, in that series, and and I kind of wonder if this Kamloops team or or even this Portland team right now is is kind of one Mateo Gennaro away 
you know, from from being able to, to, to tip the scales in their favor. But, you know, we, we well, I guess we'll know that here in a, in a couple of months. But, you know, it's just right now it's just all speculation, obviously. Well, I, I think, what you know, when you reference that, I look at that run and, and the things that, that remind me of that, you know, how much they needed everybody are, A, against Regina, it comes down to a game seven where you're biting your fingernails, you know, right to the last second. B, against Moose Jaw, comes down to a seventh game in their building where you know, Stuart Skinner had to shut out the Warriors three times in a row in their own building to get out of that series. Uh, against Lethbridge, a team that skill-wise shouldn't have been in their class, although didn't have as much of a challenge in the first two rounds. Missing a couple of guys who were banged up for the two games in Lethbridge, they got crushed in both those games. And then the Memorial Cup, you now you have a couple of guys hurt, Steenbergen goes down, and they don't win once out of those three games. So th- your margin for error is so incredibly small that, yeah, ev- every game in a playoff run, you need somebody else to step up. And that's and those are kind of the guys, too, that when, you know, we're talking about this on a, on a broad scale, we're looking at the stars and we're looking at the additions. Now, you covering the team every day, you probably know the, the rest of the lineup more than we do. There, there's bound to be some players who are kind of your third, your fourth liners, your mm-hmm. you know, um, your character guys, your developing players who you see as you know, who are some of these guys that could be unsigned heroes come playoff time that we might not be talking about right now, but we might learn a whole lot about when it comes to uh, April, May, and June. Uh, the one big guy who just when Stinkoven left and went to the World Juniors, I mean, this kid absolutely just, I don't even know what happened. He, he went crazy. Emmett Finney. That's the kid that I think a lot of people need to watch. He plays third-line minutes, fourth-line minutes, but he's got 12 points in his last 10 games. He wins a lot of face-off draws. He's uh, just a four-checking specialist, one of those guys that you don't want to play against. You know, he, you hit him, he'll hit you right back. And, you know, he's a guy that's really going to provide a lot of depth. Um, you know, Dylan Sador is good, too. I mean, obviously, everybody knows the last name, Sador. So, you know, Dylan's got a lot of good intangibles with his game, too. And, you know, Ashton Furster, he's been nice the last couple games. I mean, he's got five points in his last five games. This is a guy who's 6'4", 205, brings in some size. You know, he can play that physical role, and he's really started to play more physical in the last probably 10 games. Um, I'm seeing him in a lot of scrums. He's trying to stick up for guys and just doing, he's using his size and doing what he needs to do. Uh, Shea Van Ohm, a guy who's played in the Memorial Cup, a guy who's played in the WHL finals and won it. You know, he, 13 points in 25 games, and he meshes in so well because he's a guy who plays whatever you want to play. I mean, he, he could play up on the top line with Stan Coven, but right now they've got him on the third line, and he's, he's running guys every single night and still putting in, getting in the points. Um, you know, trying to think of a couple other players, like on defense, Harrison Brunick has been a very nice defenseman. He's young, um, so I'm not too sure how much they're going to rely on him when it comes down to it. Uh, but, you know, for defense, Oppo Sorrell, I know I mentioned to maybe move him um, earlier, but, like, he's a guy who they need to get the puck to more because he has a heat seeker of a shot. 
I, I don't think a lot of people have realized that when he fires it, it's it's quick. So I think there's a few guys there, but you know, Finney, uh, Van Olm, Furster, those are definitely guys to watch, and and Finney for sure. You know, his brother Marshall played for Edmonton after the Oil Kings, so he's got some WHL final experience. I'm sure he's talking to his brother every day about what to what to experience or what to expect. Sorry. Well, and you mentioned, you know, Sorrell and, and, and maybe wanting wanting more from him. You know, how how many times have we seen this that, you know, as a as his first year in North America and, you know, about this time of year it starts to click as far as, you know, how how you know, playing on the smaller ice, you know, the different environment. I mean, you know, it, it, it I mean everything and you know, we, we we talk about it, you know, commonly with these with these Europeans. And then at one point it just kind of snaps into place, and you see a guy take off like a rocket. So you know, I kind of mm-hmm. you kind of wonder if maybe uh, you know maybe that might be in the cards for for this finished defenseman. Uh, I I I really do think it is because he, you know in his last ten games he's got about four or five points, and he's just he's really figuring it out. I mean, you talk about the ice difference, and it, it's big because this is a guy who came from from playing Saipa over in the Liga in Finland. You know, he's had, you know, 14 games over there in the Finnish men's league. You know, he only put up one assist, but this is a guy who's a true stay-at-home defender. But, you know, he knows how to get the pucks on net, and that's really what works for the team. You get those pucks on net, and you got some of those guys like Furster and Finney and Sador who bang at home. It it all works. Now, you talked, you know, we talked a little bit about Sean Fluston, and now he can really focus on, on the coaching side of things. There's been... Yeah. A, a long run here where he's had to deal with how to build this roster at the same time as trying to coach this team. Um, a, have you got a sense from him? I mean, how much he's going to enjoy now being able to really focus his time on that? B, how much has it helped as the expectation was it would to have the kind of staff um, that they've had behind him on the coaching staff to, to help handle that while he's been focused on those things? Uh yeah, from what I've heard, um, I don't really speak to Clouston too much directly. Um, but from what I've heard, he's like he's ecstatic. I mean, like there's a lot of things going on. Obviously, it was you know during that few months there was a lot of a lot of talk. There was a lot of Bedard talk, and there was a lot of just what is Camloops going to do? And you know, just the amount of radio attention Camloops was getting. And if you listen to Jeff Merrick and Thirty Two Thoughts, they were talking about Camloops two months ago and. You know, just it was all about Camelops, and for a guy like him, who's you know hyper competitive, that's a stressful time. Um, so he's definitely you know the focus now is coaching, and the focus now is winning the WHL championship and going on to win the Memorial Cup. Having guys like Don Hay on you know as an assistant coach to kind of you know kind of help with stuff with everything. And, you know, Dylan or sorry not Dylan Daryl Sador is on the bench too. Um, and then, you know, I know that uh, Tim O'Donovan, the assistant general manager, he was uh, he did a lot, and so did Robbie Sandlin. Um, they they were pretty much like covering the day-to-day type stuff for him until basically, you know, when Clouston had to kind of jump in and do the, do the deals and, you know, do the talking and get all the grimy work done, that was when he came in. But I know that there was a lot of help behind the scenes, um, but now it's focus time. It's It's championship time. Well, not you know. This it, this isn't the, uh, the 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 Broncos show, but I kind of I, I think about that angle too. That you know, you wonder if if 
the Camels can make a, a good run in, in the playoffs and maybe maybe win the Memorial Cup, you know, is that going to open up opportunity for Cluson to, to move up and, and go to the pro ranks and and let somebody else figure out, you know, how, how to how to put assemble a roster with no draft picks. I, you know, I kind of wonder if you know if that's if he's on the Man, Manny Viveros model. That, that's a good. I like that. You know, I think Cluson's definitely getting a lot of attention. Um, this is a guy who he is very highly respected, as as you two know. And you know, five hundred plus wins. It, that's that's a lot. I mean, this is a guy who's really done it and he's accomplished a lot and I think that this is what's on the scorecard for him and if he can get this down and he can win a WHL championship and he can win a Memorial Cup because he won a WHL title as an assistant coach with Medicine Hat but if he can win this on his own I think that's his punch card to the next next, you know the next level he goes to the AHL or he'll go to the East Coast League and he'll take that next level um, I, I'd be I'd be pretty excited for him to do that. I mean, I always had a I was really really enjoyed my conversations with him when he was the, the coach in Madison Hat because he was one of those coaches a um, who would remember things about you and, and ask questions about you yeah and b who would really take the time to answer the question rather than giving giving you the co- kind of token coach answers. At least that was my experience. He. He, you know, whenever I talk to him, he's probably one of my favorite people to talk to because he's so articulate with his words, and and he's just he he really waits and thinks about what you said before he speaks, and I I, I really respect it and love it. Yeah, it's something you don't always get. You know, no. I, I've interviewed an absolute ton of coaches, um, and many many times. I mean, you know broadcast 700 games or whatever it was and and you do one or two pre-game coach interviews and a post game all of those games you do enough of it and mm-hmm. and um you you will often get kind of you know thinking about other thing answers or generic answers and again like he he would wait he would pay attention he would listen so i appreciate that yeah i you know the one guy that i really i if i could hmm. If I could pick an NHL coach that's like a comparable, it's John Cooper. Like he reminds me a lot of Cooper. It's really weird. Whenever I see Cooper talk and I see Cluston talk, I'm like, you guys are like the same person. It's weird, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. The tough thing, and I, you know, I, I'm not certain. I'm certainly not going to say I, I don't think it's possible by any means. I mean, he, he certainly had lots of accomplishments, but it, it's going to be tough. Um, the amount of time he's had in junior to then make the jump is a little more rare. Which is not to say it won't happen, but typically speaking, you know the NHL ranks are when they chase somebody, they're usually chasing somebody that's had kind of a he's a real young guy who's had the meteoric coaching rise. You know what I mean? When you see yeah. a guy move up to the next level, uh, you know, trying to grab on to the the next hot new thing. Um, yeah. I, I certainly think he's more than capable of of making that leap, um, but it's not not the usual model where they're kind of you know grabbing that guy who's who's just got to junior and and then makes a huge run and has three or four great years and then bam out they go but that said you never know uh, on the other hand the, the comparison that that Chad does make to the Broncos again they needed to have a coaching staff that they could lean on that year to allow Manny Beavros to make the moves he made 
um, and put the time into doing that and still to develop the team the way they needed to. And you have to have depth on your coaching staff to have success in the playoffs too because you need uh, uh, you need different eyes on different things. You need mm. different guys who can press different buttons. Yep. Uh, and that, that coaching staff had Ryan Smith, who's a head coach with Spokane right now, um, and actually was an, assi- an assistant under Sean Clouston in Madison Hat. And uh, Jamie Heward, who's now in the American Hockey League uh, with Maggie Gross. And so you look at Kamloops, that is one thing they they offer is a staff with depth, as you spoke about. Don Hay, one of the absolute biggest legends mm-hmm. in, in junior hockey yep. from a coaching standpoint. And Daryl Sidora, who brings a ton of professional experience to the table. And, and, and they, I think, offer a, a really nice balance in the different things that they can talk to the players about and the different things they might notice. And, and it's one of the underrated things that a team can bring to the table for the postseason. And I, I can't necessarily compare them to the other coaching staff stuff off my head, but I do think, and I don't know, like it feels like it's a strength for Kamloops when you get deeper and deeper into the season to have to have uh, a staff like that that provides the depth of knowledge and experience that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And think about the owners, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Jerome McGinley, Shane Doan, Darcy Tucker. They, 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 there's all these guys who are involved. And you, Mark Recchi. So, you know, these are guys who can all come into the locker room and talk to these kids before the, the big games. And, you know, they these kids see the, the posters in the locker rooms and the jerseys hung up of Doan and, and Sador and Recchi and Akinla and Niedermeyer. And they want to be those guys. They want to be the guys that are talked about for 30 years. And, you know, there's a lot to be said there with the ownership group and how much influence they have on the entire team. Um, you know, and then Don, of course, being there, I mean, just a, a legend, like you say, and I've, I've had the chance to know him personally as one of my best friends, uh, grew up next to him, uh, or next to his brother or something like that. Grew up like right next to him in the same neighborhood. I've known Don for about like 15 years and, uh, you know, always just a great guy. And, uh, you know, having him on that bench is incredible. I think that does a lot for the kids because there's a guy who's not afraid to, you know, whip the leash down. And if you're not playing good, he'll, he'll tell you. Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, I if, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, well, obviously Don Hay, you know, has won a Memorial Cup coaching in this league and, and Daryl Sedora mm-hmm. won one playing in this league. And, and I don't think that, Cluson has one. I think he played, uh, coached, coached in one, but yeah, and uh, as an assistant, but they didn't win that one. But I was just thinking to have a, have an entire coaching staff that has won the thing, like yeah. that's that's probably doesn't happen very often. I wouldn't think. No, that's a good point to think about. Now that now my my hockey knowledge is going crazy right now. <laughs> like that, that's a good point. Like that's a, that's got to be a statistic somewhere. Like the most amount of guys on a staff that have won a Memorial Cup. I'm trying to remember what it was that Medicine Hat would have last won. Oh, uh, six, oh seven, I think was when Clouston went. Yeah, they would have. That was the year. They that, were, that was the year that Medicine Hat won the league, but um, Vancouver won the Memorial Cup, and they played each other in the in the final that that great series. But as far as winning, I think probably what eighty seven. 88, I think they won back to back with uh, Trevor Linden. Is that right? The for Med Hat. Uh huh. 
Which that's a throwback. Holy Trevor Linden. Yeah, which we never did. We never did get Bob Ridley on here post retirement. Probably, probably should do that one of these days. But that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Oh, that'd be cool. So, from your perspective, then, um, eighty-eight is right, uh, by the way. But yeah, from from your perspective, as you as you look at, you know, obviously we sort of marked Seattle as the toughest potential opponent. I'm sure, that gets that. Um, what are other teams that uh, would make you nervous uh, as a supporter of the Blazers? You know, as they get ready for a playoff run, um, in particular in the conference, it's hard. You know, natural to say in the East, if you get there, you get there. You're excited to play whoever you're going to play. But along uh, the road, is there anything that stands out to you? Well, Kelowna, like if Kelowna can be deadly because Andrew Kristol has been. I mean, he's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, he. He's a guy that reminds me a lot of Patrick Kane with his release. And, you know, you get him to talk a lot, and he's going to find the back of the net. But, you know, as far as the West, like, it really, it's really just like Seattle and Kelowna that really just kind of concern me. Um, Prince George, they, they, I mean, they're nice. I mean, those two rookies down there, Cohen Zimmer and Riley Hayde, they've been great. And, you know, they've got obviously Ethan Sampson on defense, and he's a bully. He can really play. Um, so, I mean, Prince George, I mean, especially with their goaltending, too, with Ty Young, um, they're definitely a, a team that could... Happy they could spark something because they, they went out and got Zach Funk from Calgary. So there was, I mean, something to be said there. I mean, Prince George obviously feels like they've got it. And then Portland. I mean, like, Portland... I don't know why I was thinking... I wasn't thinking of Portland at the beginning. But, I mean, the... Chaz Lucius going there is absolutely that's just crazy. I couldn't believe when I got that note, like that, that was happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it, it would have been interesting to see if they would have landed uh, Ozzy Weisblatt too. Yeah, I, I yep. think I think that puts you in a lot more of a you know in, in that same category. But you know they're not they're not far off. I mean. You know, one thing that's been interesting, you know, starting to to look at the the standings more and more as as time goes on, and especially following this the Seattle Portland race that they're kind of neck and neck, and and they seem to to win on the same night and lose on the same night a lot of times. But you know, the the way that we went back to the the old you know one eight two seven format, and Kamloops is kind of almost locked into that two hole. You know, I, I don't know if, if they have enough time to, to catch Seattle, especially if Seattle's going to have to go on a, a serious slump in order to do that. And, you know, you win the division, you're no no worse than two. So it's kind of an interesting spot as far as, you know, watching the, you know, the potential matchups. And then, you know, as, as at the time of this recording, there's, what, three points separating four, five, six, and seven in the standings right now. So, you know, three points for over over four teams. And so that's going to, mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, change, you know, daily. And, and, and certainly on a weekend, you're going to, you know, have teams jumping up two spots and, and whatever else. But, but Camelos is almost guaranteed to be the, the, the two seed, which will be, you know, kind of interesting to see how that, how, how that shakes out down the, down the stretch here. Yeah, it, it would be too, because we talked about it earlier, like just the whole route, I think is what's going to make a big uh, is going to be like what the big impact is for for each team. You know, if Camels has to go through a little easier route, you know, heading into the conference finals or whatever happens, 
then maybe you know if they play you know an Everett and then they play a Prince George and then they play up Seattle then yeah they'll be a little more rested but if it's the other way around and they're playing teams off the hop like like a you know like a Portland or a Vancouver um, anything like anything can happen right and so I think it's really what it's going to come down to is who who the first you know matchups are against and, and how that plays plays out but you're right in the sense that the Blazers probably won't catch up at all like they'll finish in that two hole um and that's kind of where it is well because th- this would actually be if we still have the old system that would certainly benefit Kamloops um right yeah because the the two the two t- toughest opponents are in the U.S. right now um yep. uh, unfortunately for them um maybe fortunately for fairness uh I like this system better but but it, it means if Portland or Seattle, uh, whichever one it is that finishes third, does what's expected of them and wins their first round, and Campbell's does what's expected of them and wins theirs, they're going to have to play that team. Uh, and and so their route is going to be tougher than whoever, you know, whoever finishes first in the U.S. division should have the simpler journey to the conference final, uh, because they won't have to play the other team in the second round. So that, that makes the race for first in the U.S. that much more important, I would think. Yeah. And, and Chad, as a follower of the Winterhawks, would certainly feel that. But ultimately, for Campbell's, you can't do anything about that. One way or another, you're probably playing either Portland or Seattle in the second round, and then the other one, potentially, likely, in the conference final. So that is going to be a, a really tough journey to the final. If they do get all the way, Yeah, right? You've got one of uh, one of Portland and uh, and Seattle in the second round, the other one in the third round, and a team like Winnipeg or Red Deer or Saskatoon in the final. <laughs> if they get there, boy, they'll have earned it. Oh yeah, like it, that's exactly it. And but the nice thing is, they have the experience through playoffs. You know, they made it to the conference final last year, and and you know guys like Stinko, Win and Minton, they can lean on those guys. They can lean on Demick. Uh, they can lean on, well, I guess they can't really lean on Zellweger because his playoff experience is minimal. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, has played big minutes and, and, and knows what it's like to play in a top tournament and can do that. Um, but overall, it's going to be, a, I mean, yeah, you laid it out like that. It'll be a tough go for them. Um, but, yeah, Portland and Seattle, kind of like Prince George, those are kind of like the worries, I guess, for me. Kelowna, really not really, though. Like, Kelowna's not really a worry. Prince George is not really a worry either because, in my opinion, they beat them eight or ten times. So, I think I think a lot of people are sleeping on just to the Eastern Conference on Moose Jaw. So, yeah, that's that's fair. I I sort of just spelled out the first the first three, but yeah, Moose Jaw's been very good as well. Yeah, and. and I, they didn't really make the big addition um, as much, but I. I think no one wants to play them either. No. And that's just it. Like, I think the East is a lot more competitive when it comes down to it. Like, you, you've you got your three teams that kind of bolster up the West, but there's, like, I don't know, there's a few teams over there out in the East that just kind of, you know, they, they look good. I mean, what's Red Deer going to do? Um, I'm a little surprised Calgary didn't move out with, you know, Tyson Galloway, who was a guy that I wanted the Blazers to target because he's also from Kamloops, so it made sense to do the whole trade but you know a guy like uh, him and a guy like um, uh, Sean Shigerl 
uh, Riley Fiddler Schultz. You know, those were guys that I wondered if they were going to be they were going to be moved out of Calgary. But I mean, the Hitmen obviously feel like they've got something going too. Um, I'm I'm really interested to see what happens on the East though, because I I haven't really been paying a whole lot of attention out East. My focus has been a lot on the West. Uh, so in the last couple of weeks, I've been playing catch up, and yeah, there's some good teams out there. Well, at the, the time of this taping, you know Calgary's in the in the sixth seed, and so you know you're only a couple of points back from from getting getting into that four or five bracket, which you know it's the 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 same the same tale that you know Sean laid out that you know you can yeah. you can avoid you know that's that's where you want to be. You can avoid the the top couple of teams and try to win around and and maybe get some momentum going and you know get uh, get some playoff gates. But so that's kind of. I, I could see where you know where the the hitmen are coming from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think a lot of teams just didn't really make moves. I know, like I talked to somebody in the Tri City Americans uh, organization, and I said, "How come? How come you guys didn't make any trades?" I was like, "I thought maybe you guys would move out Ethan Ernst or move out Parker Bell, you move out one of the twenty year olds." And they just he he just simply said, uh, "You know, we've got a plan." That's all he said back. So I mean they've clear they've they hit, you know they'll do whatever and clearly every team had had a plan going into this trade deadline. Well, the Americans sit in fifth. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but they, they sit in fifth. Guys, too, right? Teams. Yep. Um, teams often uh, aren't as dismissive of their own of their own um, potential opportunities as uh, a fan looking at the bigger picture might be. Uh, you know that. Because if, if you're sitting in fifth or sixth, but you see the path to getting a little higher and you see the path to a couple of playoff rounds, um, especially if you've had some down years. You know, Calgary was a, a down team for a couple of years. The Tri-Cities had a couple of down years. If you find your way back into the mix in the playoffs and you think, I could win a few rounds here, and then you win a few rounds and you never know what's going to happen. Yep. Um, the You know, you're not really in a hurry to move your, your best players. And your fans that wouldn't be too excited about that, you know. So it's always easy to say, "Well, you're not getting that guy back, so the best thing to do is move it for future until you're an actual contender." But uh, if that were the case, then none of these teams that you know are four, five, six, seven, eight would ever put up a fight in the playoffs, and they intend to. And some of those teams will go on those runs that that you don't expect. So, and 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 a lot of times that you know you look at what Kamloops did last year. You yep. talk about the experience they got from that. How valuable is that going to be going into the playoff run and the Memorial Cup run that they're going into because they know what it takes to win those games and what it feels like to lose when you're that close. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, referencing the Broncos, I think their run um, beating Moose Jaw and then going seven with the eventual league finalists from Regina in the second round the year before they won was huge in winning. And for Seattle, they'll look at their run to the final last year. You know, so so these teams don't want to give away that experience. I would suggest. And and if you were Kamloops, you know, would you have wanted to make some more trades of the guys they had last year, but then not have that run to the final, the conference final they had? Yeah, that's a good point, though. I mean, it's a good way to look at it. Well, and to back you up, Sean. I mean, you know, our friends in 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 Kennewick. I mean, they they haven't really. I don't think they made the playoffs or haven't done anything with it at least since you know Valamaki and and Rasmussen and Jake mm-hmm. Bean were there. 
you know and so it's kind of they they need to have something positive happen for them you know i mean i you know my friend i i got some people in that office too and i know when when the when we finally shut down the the season you know in 2020 that they were they were the only people that were happy about it because <laughs> it was just <laughs> it, it was ugly you know it was yeah and, and so you know even I, if I, if, I if the, you, might have been. Hmm? <laughs> i can tell you who else might have been yeah yeah if you were to pick a time to 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 be on the low end of your cycle, <laughs> you know that was that was the best time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, or any but, or anybody that that traded assets to to Kelowna that year as the host, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so, but to, to finish that thought, I mean, the so the AMs, I mean, they're they're you know looking. Uh, even even if 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 they're not you know in that that at at the big boy table they they're still you know the the best they've been in years and and they're gonna yeah. they're gonna they're gonna win a couple games and score some goals and 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 that's gonna you know push them in the in the the right direction towards the towards where they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and look at who they've got coming in the future. I mean, Lucas Trasevich is just blowing everything apart. I mean, that kid. If he doesn't get selected in the first round, I don't know what scouts are thinking. But and then they got Jordan Gavin. I mean that that kid's a treat. So, so Colt, we we've had you for a while, and I I, I kind of want to start with this, and then we kind of just got right into it. But you know what's um you know first time we've had you on the show. What uh you know what's what's your role with, with Daily Faceoff, and and what's it been like to to work with them. Uh, yeah, so my role with Daily Faceoff. So right now, uh, I'm just a, I'm an NHL news contributor. So basically, just like daily NHL news. Um, so like injuries, trades, transactions, anything like that you could possibly think of, we write about over on Daily Faceoff. Um, and then I also do a bunch of feature work. So lately, I've been doing some prospect stuff, um, catching up with guys like Logan Stankoven, Fraser Minton. I recently just caught up with Denton Matejchuk and spent some time with him. Uh, a great kid. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that going with it. Um, you know, they, they kind of want me to focus on that, you know, do some WHL stuff. So it's been fun. I mean, Frank Saravalli, um, is, is my boss and that's a crazy thing for me to say out loud because I grew up watching them and, you know, he, he's been, he's been tremendous and he, he gives, he gives me everything I ask for. Um, and he's really open to ideas and what, what daily Faceoff is, is about. And, you know, it's, it's about hockey and you know when i talk to him about my, the blazers ideas and what i've got with the whl and covering certain stuff he's all over it and you know it's it's a it's a fun thing i've really enjoyed my time there i've been there for about a year now and uh, i couldn't i couldn't ask for a better job but it's kind of the nature of uh of media these days things are evolving constantly what the path would have been five years ago let alone 10, 15, 20, 30, isn't what the path is today. So I, I imagine as somebody who's coming up, it's a bit of a guessing game, sort of take whatever opportunities are there and try to make the most with it. And that's, that's exactly it too. You know, I the one thing that a lot of people find out um, in my line of work is I never went to school for anything. I, I, I self-taught myself how to write, I mean, and just do that whole aspect of what you know hockey journalism and sports journalism is um my i got a job with the hockey writers in the middle of the pandemic so the the nhl season started back up in this that summer of 2020 
and I got a little writing gig um, with with the hockey writers and started doing some stuff with them. And it just kind of it blew up into an opportunity uh, where Daily Faceoff reached out, and uh, I I jumped on board. And it's yeah, it's just been it's been incredible. And you know, kind of like my point with that was, you know, people a lot of people think you need to you know have all these credentials to do stuff, and you got to do all these you know extracurricular activities. You you don't. You just gotta you gotta be knowledgeable about what about what your passion is and just go for it and you'll make it i mean i that's that's it i mean yeah it's a it's it's been interesting seeing watching the uh the the progress of 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 that outlet you know and that it it you know to, to kind of sean's point i mean the the new the new media world i mean well i mean show, shows like this didn't exist and you know, now it's the most saturated market in, in history, and here I am trying to get some downloads. But you know, but to to and to see you know an, an outlet like Daily Face Off, and and you know, you got some. You know, you mentioned Cervelli. I mean, you got some serious names. You know, uh, friend of the show. You know, Stephen Ellis. You know, he's yep. covering covering juniors. You know, and yeah, and that was when I really kind of noticed, like, oh, he's what? Who, who's he? Who's he with now? I mean, this is a guy that's been with some. You know some pretty uh, other pretty serious organizations. Guys. So yeah, so, so yeah. yeah and sorry, I didn't really answer your question, Sean. <laughs> I, yeah, my my apologies. I I think like you know, it's it definitely is different. And you know, there's like the media world is just changing. And like you know, before even before COVID, like there you know, Frank's talked about this too. Like everybody had to be in an office. Now all of a sudden we find out, hey, you can work in Kamloops, and I can have my headquarters in Philadelphia. And you could still work for me, and that's kind of like where it is. And then the podcasting thing, I mean, that's just blown up all over the world, like everywhere. I mean, everybody had a podcast. I had a WHL podcast for a little bit. You guys influenced that, but then that got that shot shot down due to commute. There, there were some issues between um, uh, the hockey writers and Daily Faceoff. So, not to get into that, but but that's why that shut down. But but there you go. But it's exactly it. Like it seems like every week there's like a new hockey podcast that's just like out there, and it's just everybody's just trying to get into this crazy media world of of what is sports media right now. Uh, it's trying, you know, it's more of a challenge than ever before to know um, what direction is going to feel legitimate, what direction is going to create opportunities for you, and yet there's more opportunity than there's ever been to create your own opportunity. Yeah, you know to find a niche to uh, work really hard and put out content which isn't as limited by uh, how many squares of newspaper you have uh, you know what I mean like the, yep. the, the door is wide open to do any number of things but it's also um, this kind of it's so wide open that it can be intimidating to know what path to follow whereas when it was someone like me uh you know, I'm talking like a dinosaur. I'm only 42, but 20 years ago, I'm getting college for radio. App was you go to a small town, you get experience, you cut your teeth, and you can move up the ladder to either more specific jobs or jobs in bigger markets. That's just what you did. Mm-hmm. And and writing was the same. You got into newspapers. You'd go start out into a small town newspaper, and then work your way up to something else. And like you said things have changed. Now you can work for an NHL website based in Philadelphia from Camworks. And so 
you don't have to pack up your stuff and 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 head out to Quinell uh, to yeah. write the Quinell Weekly newspaper to get it <laughs> ready. You know, but at the same time, it's not as clear. It's not as obvious what you have to do. You have to sort of forge your own path because there isn't there isn't that usual way. So it's it's great, but it's also a real challenge to kind of to kind of move forward without knowing exactly the way you should do it. You know, that that, that uh, template isn't there the same way it used to be. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you yeah, exactly. You would go to journalism school, you'd get put into, you know, these certain jobs and you'd, you'd make your way and now it's, oh, you can apply for, you know, uh, this job and you can write a hockey blog online and you, you might make, you know, $100 this month and that's just kind of how it is now and it's, it, there's definitely a lot of like skepticism around it for sure i mean there's people that it's it, like it's intimidating obviously but if you you gr- you do exactly what you did you know before and you grind your way through it you'll see the success yeah interesting it's uh yeah definitely a, a you know even just the 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 new media side uh, you know uh, even without the hockey element of the week i'm sure we could talk about all night but uh yeah, and yeah. how you take measure success, right? Like Chad and I do this show. I mean, Chad's been doing it a lot longer than I have, but but uh, I know it's a labor of love, right? And we we'd love to have as many people listen as possible. And if if there was ever a financial end to it, I mean, great. But that's not the reason, yeah, right? Whereas other people are doing stuff for careers. You know, him and I have full time jobs. This is not it. Um, but. It's it's a chance to talk hockey with people that about a game that we love with people that have a lot of interesting insight. That's fun to do. Um, so you you know it's but to, to get to a point where you monetize it, I mean that's a it's easy to I don't want to say it's easy to do what we're doing. It's not easy. You got to you got to put the time in. You got to build your credibility to the point that anyone would actually on your show. Yep. But but it's not as hard to have a platform. You know you can go on TikTok and. And build a platform pretty fast if you do things the right way. YouTube or whatever. It's not as hard to have a platform as it is to turn that into a career, because finding finding a way to get get enough uh, cash out of it to to make a living um, that's that's a thing thousands of people are trying to figure out every day, right? Yeah, and that that's the yeah. I mean, the whole social media aspect and people making money off that and the TikTok stuff. You guys could talk about that for hours, <laughs> like. It's great. It's unfathomable, like what kind of just happens in that whole world. So, as we kind of wrap a bow, a bow on this, uh, Colton, you have any any uh, features coming up that that you're kind of looking forward to that we should keep an eye out there for uh, on daily phase off. Uh, the Denton Matejchuk one uh, will probably launch this weekend. Uh, I had a chance to speak with him directly, which was awesome, like I said. And then I had a chance to speak with uh, Derek Dorsett, who is the Columbus Blue Jackets development coach. Um, him and I chatted for, for a few minutes about about him, and uh, he gave me some great tips. Uh, not tips, gave me some great pointers and, like, you know, a bit of this stuff on what Matei Chuck can, can kind of do at the next level. And, you know, he's a kid who's uh, really got a competitive edge to him. And, you know, he's 5'11", 180 pounds, and he's a guy who's really going to, if he can continue to bulk up like Dorsett was talking about, he's going to be a monster in the NHL, um, like a Tory Krug-type defenseman. 
So that's something to look forward to. Um, I'm doing a little thing on Olin Zellweger now that he's in Kamloops, of course. Um, that yeah, that's really about it right now in terms of features. Um, yeah. Dor- Dorset was a familiar face out in this area before I was ever here. He played uh, his U18 AAA hockey in Swift Current, actually. Oh wow! So uh, and then and then played for the the hated Tigers. I think he was so, on that 0607 team too that we were talking yeah. about. You're, yeah, you're you're correct. I was thinking that, and I, I double checked while we were talking about it, but because uh, I was like, wasn't he on that Tigers team too? But yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, yeah. With, with the with Willie's first run with uh, Med Hat, they were. Man, that you know, long time listeners. Yeah, Darren. Yeah, long time listeners of the show know my my love for that uh, that medicine at Vancouver series. That was that was that was a lot of that was really fun back then. You know, it's funny because that's kind of around. I got really into hockey in like oh three oh four. I'm twenty six, so like around oh three oh four was when I started to go to games and really start to understand the game. And, so in 06, 07, when I was watching, I remember guys like, you know, still to this day, um, you know, like Evander Kane, obviously. But, um, you know, he played for the Giants. But guys like uh, Adam Korshane, um, Spencer Mahalachek, you know, J- um, Merrick Schwartz. There was just so many guys that, like, I was, like, just obsessed with back when I was, like, a kid watching these kids. And, you know, that Medicine Hat team with Darren Helm, he was one of my favorite players growing up. And to see the success he had, like, when he won the, the Stanley Cup, with Colorado, I was so happy for him. Now, we should we should make a note of the fact that the biggest reason Chad liked that series so much is that Vancouver lost. <laughs> Which is fair. In in some ways, I'm still mad at that era Vancouver <laughs> team, but, but 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 then I w- was fortunate enough to have uh, uh, have Lucic on on this very show, so that was that was that was kind of fun. So. Oh yeah, Lou Cheech is just an awesome guy. I mean, and talk about a guy who's just, you know, who was all about the Memorial Cup, and how you know, even twenty years later, it's I guess it hasn't been it hasn't been twenty years, but fifteen years later, you know, they still talk about the shift, right? The what he did that night in the Memorial Cup final, and it's crazy. He is definitely a Memorial Cup legend. And he may not play that much in a game now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, well, I but, guess that team did have Evander Kane in you know, 06 07. Yeah, I think he came he was on the tail of I think he was a 16 or 17 maybe when they when they won the Memorial Cup yeah. if memory serves, but All right, Colton. Well, we uh we appreciate your time and uh you know, I have to, you know, pay attention to uh to your work uh, with Daily Faceoff. Thank you guys. I hey, I appreciate the time. Um, you know, it, it was awesome. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, and thank you guys again. And good luck with everything you guys continue to do. I'll be sure to listen. Thanks.